1: Hello again and thank you for joining another episode of Let the Bible Speak. It certainly is our great privilege to bring the Word of God to you week by week on this program. And today we're going to replay a message from Acts chapter 18. The work of the gospel ministry is not always easy and at times it brings about great challenges to our own mindset We've struggled to find motivation to press on in the things of God. And Paul was not exempt from such challenges. And in the next chapter, 18, verse 9, we read these words. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. The Lord comes and encourages Paul. He's in Corinth. Some have believed the gospel, but there has been opposition. And as the Lord tells him not to be afraid, he continues with these words, verse 10, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. In response to the Lord's encouragement, the word of God tells us that Paul continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. It is these words that I want to draw your attention to today that they may indeed encourage our churches in our ministries at this present time. May God bless his word in your hearing today. In 18, we're reading of the account of Paul uh, moving from Athens to Corinth. And we have an insight in 1 Corinthians as to Paul's determination as he commences this phase of his missionary labours. From 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, we know that he determined not to know anything among the Corinthians save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that is the only message for lost sinners. We remind ourselves when we come to think about the gospel that it is the truth of Christ and him crucified that meets every need the sinner has. It's through Christ that God's wrath is turned away. It is through Christ that the enmity we have towards God is removed. All of these things are dealt with through the cross of Christ. Yet, such a faithful message did not guarantee an easy passage for the apostle, and there was no guarantee of an easy road. We understand that just because we're faithful to the Lord doesn't ensure that we will not know any obstacles or opposition. The Lord's requirement for his stewards are that they are faithful, and yet faithfulness may lead to opposition and oppression. You may have the right message. We may deal with that message faithfully, but we may still encounter trials. And in verse number 9, we get an insight into the experience of the apostle at this time. The Lord speaks to him, Be not afraid, and hold not thy peace. And it seems to be the implication that at this time in Corinth, Paul is succumbing to fear in such a way that he's tempted not to continue the ministry in Corinth. We only get that detail from these words that the Lord brings, and yet it seems to be a very fair and necessary inference. And so the Lord comes and encourages him he says, be not afraid, hold not thy peace. And then verse 10 brings these words of tremendous assurance. For I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Much people. Uh, He is referred to in this term, the people. These are the Lord's people. Is it simply referring to those that have already been saved? Verse number eight, there are those many Corinthians have believed and have been baptized. Is it referring to those? Well, of course, they're included, but much people, we believe, indicates those who are yet to be saved. Paul's presence in God's wisdom was required that that would be so. There are still those who are going to be brought into the kingdom of God, and there are people who are yet to believe, and their belief depends on Paul's ongoing ministry. The commentator Alexander says this The meaning is not that there are already many converts in the place who would protect him, but that there are many yet to be converted, for whose sake his life must be preserved. And what you're seeing here in verse 10 is the assurance the Lord gives to Paul that his ministry there will not be hindered, uh, because he is indeed going to minister in the face of opposition. As you reason through this, you should understand that if it's simply referring to the Lord's people, he could, he could minister to them in some degree of seclusion. But the protection indicates to my mind that he's going back into opposition. And yet in the face of opposition, those who do not love the Lord, he is going to know safety and success. And so for various reasons, there's a looking ahead in this, that much people does not only refer to those who have been converted, but it also refers to those who are yet to be converted. It is a large promise, much people. It's a promise that only God can give. And it's a promise designed to motivate God's servant to greater labors. And we must rejoice afresh in God's tenderness toward his child. Such words of encouragement designed to get him back onto track and get him going once more. And from this very particular promise and encouragement to Paul, there are certainly lessons for us all to learn tonight as we labor as the church in the world. The church exists in the world. We are here to be lights in the world. But as we do so, we must be encouraged as we seek to know the Lord's will. The first thing then to do, to recognize again tonight, is to accept the fact that we do encounter trials as the church in the world. So as we exist in the world, there are trials. And we have to speculate to some degree here. It's hard to be dogmatic as to what causes Paul to feel as he feels in verse number 9. What is it that brought him to be fearful, to be phobic in the word that is used there? What is it that causes him to be hesitant in his preaching? Why does he feel this way? Well, it may well be in part because of the persecution Whilst Paul faced persecution with great fortitude, uh, he is not immune to uh, suffering this bout of fear, as we find him in uh, Acts chapter eighteen. Persecution is mentioned in verse number six when they oppose themselves. That's a very strong word. It's the same word that's used of the Lord. The Lord God resisteth the proud. And standing against Paul, it was a strong opposition. It was not simply some who expressed some disquiet, but rather they were seeking to resist and prevent Paul in his ministry. So there was the issue of persecution. And there was also the confrontation of the hardness of the people. Corinth was marked with great wickedness. It's a harbor city, three harbors in the city, trade center and people from all over came. And as is often the case when there is such movement of trade and a port culture, there was great immorality and great wickedness in that city. We know that for a fact, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have a list of the sins of those people who were converted under the ministry. You have there fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abuse of themselves of mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. All of these things, and yet such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's here's a motley crew, as you might say, who have been converted. But when you're ministering in such a climate, what a challenge it is. How do you cope, face with such wickedness and such hardness? You see, the Lord's promise of blessing to Paul is very specific. I have much people in this city. And I think that's why this reference to in this city does suggest to us that Paul is confronting the wickedness of the city in which God has placed him at this time. We must beware looking at our own areas and our own nation and saying, look at this wickedness. How could God possibly bless here? How can God possibly save souls here? We long for the day when we have a motley crew like Corinth in this congregation. Amen. People from all walks of life coming to the gospel and being united together in a love uh, joint and a shared love for Christ Jesus. It's encouraging that prior to the Reformation there was darkness. It's encouraging that prior to the Great Awakening there was darkness. Great periods of darkness followed by a great shining of gospel light. And so, whilst we encounter trials, we encounter persecution and hardness of heart, we should not be discouraged. But rather, we should listen to the Lord's words, to the apostle, and feed upon them ourselves. But these things are no obstacles to God. Persecution and hardness of heart do not prevent the Lord's saving souls and advancing the cause of Christ. And so, as a church in the world, we realize that we live in a difficult context. But the world must not cause us to doubt. It must not cause us to be hesitant, and it must not provoke fear. We must not fear this world. We must not fear the face of men, but rather boldly continue to preach Christ and Him crucified. And so as you think of the church and the world, certainly we do understand that the church will encounter trials. But in the second place, we understand that in light of this portion, the church and the world must be encouraged in the truth, the first thing, though, I want you to note is how the Lord does not encourage the apostle. We know that in verse number 8, many of the Corinthians had heard the word of God and believed. We would expect Paul to be rejoiced. And yet in the very next verse, the Lord says to him, Don't be afraid and hold not thy peace. That's a strange thing justification of these two particular verses. Many believed, seemingly not empty professions. They were baptized. They demonstrated their commitment to Christ. And yet verse 9 shows this fear and implies a reticence to preach. And what is interesting to me is that God does not use the previous blessings to encourage Paul to continue. He doesn't say to Paul, look at the past. Look at all that's happened in the past and therefore be encouraged to continue. Now that's appropriate in its place. But it's not what, Paul, what the Lord uses in this particular time. The Lord does not say to Paul, look at all these conversions. Surely the Lord is blessing. You see, when we use the past and take those encouragements to presume on blessings in the future, then we are doing just that. We are presuming upon the future. God does bless at a particular time. And past blessings is no guarantee of future success in gospel ministry. We should use the past wisely. We should use the past with the conviction that God is the unchanging God. He is the Ebenezer God. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The past should encourage us to pray that God would do the same again. We have that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 when the apostle encouraged the people to pray for them that the word of God would have free course and be glorified as and even as it is with you. In other words, he's telling the Thessalonians, God saved you, you pray that God would save others. That's an appropriate use of the past. And God would, as we often say, God would do it again. But at the same point, past blessings should not cause us to be complacent and assume that we have future success in gospel ministry. So the past should encourage us, it should provoke hope and prayer, but it must never lead to presumption. But there are things that do encourage us regarding future success. So whilst the Lord does not use past blessings, He does indicate things that would indicate or that would would certainly imply his, His encouragement of the apostle that He will continue to bless The first thing is very simple. It's very obvious. The continued ministry of the Word is an indication of God's intent to bless in the future. He's telling Paul to stay and to continue to preach. And he does so with the confidence that that will not be a futile purpose. An ongoing gospel ministry is evidence of God's favor and grace upon the district. It is fearful when God withdraws himself from a nation or from an area. You turn back to Hosea, please. I want you to show you this in the Old Testament. There are many places we could turn to, um, but I want you to turn back to Hosea. I've been reading Hosea recently, uh, just in my own devotions, and really struck by some of the implications. Uh, Hosea chapter 8 and verse number 12 is, is a stark verse. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. And they had the word of God. They had the benefits of the word of God. They heard the word of God, but they they viewed the word of God with suspicion as a strange thing, something not to be embraced. And so over in chapter four of Hosea, verse number six, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. And then down in verse number 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And so you see this cycle of events in the cause of God with his people. They have repudiated the word of God, and God has then brought judgment upon them. There's a lack of knowledge A lack of content coming from the prophets and from the priests. They're lacking guidance in the things of God. And what happens is judgment follows. It's a serious thing when a church must close its doors. And such happens. Sometimes the case that a church will struggle and it will get to the point that there will be no continuing gospel ministry in that area. That may well be a mark of God's judgment upon the area. There was faithful gospel preaching, and that preaching was ignored, and God withdraws the candlestick from the area. It's like the disciples in Mark chapter 10 who are told that when they are not received, they are to depart and shake the dust off their feet. But here in Corinth, rather than God withdrawing the word, he is encouraging the word to continue. It's not a time for withdrawal. It's not a time for God's uh, withdrawal of his blessing, but rather it is an indication of his continued purpose to save souls. Paul's encouraged to remain. Keep on teaching. Keep on laboring. that ministry is a sign that God is still saving souls. You are praying tonight in the context where God is still pleased to have a gospel ministry in this area. And so as you think of this locality, there is still gospel preaching, not just from me, but from others. There are those in this area who are still preaching Christ and Him crucified that encourages us because it's through the preaching of the word that souls are saved and therefore keep on praying keep on praying because god has pleased to continue with the preaching of the gospel so you have the continued ministry of the word as an encouragement you have also the covenant of god as an encouragement for i have much people in this city here we see that god has a people who are his possession The much people are my people, saith the Lord. It is my conviction that these are people who are not yet believing. They're not yet saved, but yet in God's mind, they are still my people. How can sinners be God's people? In his holiness, God is removed from sinners. But the language here is a language of covenant promise. I will be their God and they will be my people. It is looking at the very purpose of God to see the multitude of sinners, and he claims them as his people. The refrain of the Old Testament is indeed true now. Hebrews chapter 8 speaks of the fullness of the covenant of grace. And he says, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Thus this Corinthian people in all their sin are God's people as he views them by way of covenant and by blood. He views them in union with Christ in the purpose of redemption. They are not yet saved, but they are God's people. They belong to him. And their salvation is absolutely certain. It's language reminiscent of a portion we read this past Lord's Day in John chapter 10 and the verse number 16. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Christ says, other sheep, not I will have, but I have. They're his possession, and he is going to get them and bring them into the fold. It's referring to the conversion of Gentiles who are not yet saved. And so we see this tremendous certainty in gospel labors. Now those who are yet outside the fold can still be viewed in God's eyes as his sheep and as his people, that he will not lose them. He's not going to allow any of his sheep or of his people to be lost, indicating the absolute assertion and the assurance. that those who are in God's covenant will finally and gloriously be saved forevermore. The new covenant secures this. We have the, I will be their God's. They will be unto me a people. Christ's blood secures these promises. The Spirit of God is sent out so that those who are his people come to believe. They have given a new heart. They come to have faith in Christ so their sins and their iniquities are remembered no more. All of these things come together. The promise that they will be his people that requires the coming of Christ and the shedding of blood, that requires the resurrection, it requires the giving of the Spirit. And it requires the Lord's people to then believe, come to faith in Christ. We don't labor in uncertainty and doubt. We labor knowing that God is the people who he'll save. That is our encouragement. I'm not suggesting by any second that through covenant, those who are the Lord's people will be converted without them also personally believing. We understand that. Romans chapter 9 would suggest to us in light of what you see in John chapter 10. So, John 10 other sheep I have not this fold. But then, Romans chapter 9 and verse number 25 says, As he saith also in see, I will call them my people which are not my people, and my beloved which are not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. And so from man's perspective, those who are enemies of God become the people of God when they believe the gospel. But that should not remove the assertion of this text that God has a people that he will absolutely certainly save. And that encouraged us to continue. As long as Christ tarries, there are souls yet to come into the kingdom. So, you have that encouragement. You have the continued ministry of the word. You have the covenant of God. And thirdly, you have the care of the Lord. Verse number 10 the care of the Lord. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Oh, the Lord's care of his servant. And this is a very particular promise to Paul here that in Corinth he would suffer no harm. We know it's particular to Paul in Corinth because we know elsewhere he did suffer harm. So this is not a, an, an ongoing promise that Paul could claim going forward, but it is a promise that he could claim as he ministered there in Corinth, no one could harm him. So we can't claim this. We can't look at this text and say, well, this is a promise for me today. We have no such assurance, but it is most certainly a recurring emphasis. That if the Lord bless his servants, they require his presence. As they continue to labor and gather in the souls that God has deemed to be saved. You think of Exodus chapter 33. If thy presence go not with me, carry me not up hence. You think of Joshua chapter 1, and Joshua chapter 1 sits right alongside Hebrew, or Acts chapter 18, verse 9 here. Joshua 1, Have not I commanded thee, be strong, and have a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. The Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We do have the assurance of God's presence in our gospel labors. Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with thee always. And so we have the assurance of God's presence. And so when you bring all of these things together, a continued ministry, the covenant purpose of God, and the care of the Lord, it stirs up our souls that we go into the world no matter the opposition. For as long as Christ tarries, there are still souls to be saved. As long as the Lord preserves a gospel ministry, then there are still souls to be saved. And then we claim the comfort of the care of the Lord in such a context, that though the world be hostile, we have the comfort of God's presence and his care over our souls. And so therefore, in light of that, let us not be afraid, but speak and hold not our peace. And so we've thought about the church in the world and encountering trials, being encouraged by truth, and then finally, and very obviously, enduring in the task That is what Paul does, verse 11. He continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This response in Paul's ministry to the word of encouragement was to continue, literally to sit there. He was going nowhere. the Lord had placed him there, and the Lord had given these assurances. And he says, I'm going nowhere. I'm going to keep on preaching Christ. Interestingly, Paul did not reason. You have your people to save. You save them. No, he understood from God's purpose that he was responsible to be used of God to the furtherance of the covenantal promises of God. You see, future gospel blessing requires that we endure. That we keep on preaching, keep on praying, keep on witnessing. As Paul would tell Timothy, we are to endure hardships even as a soldier of Christ because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. I am convinced that God has placed this church at this time, in this location, for the furtherance of the gospel. We are not here in a futile exercise. We are here to see souls saved. And we must pray to that end, because it is the blessing of God that we'll see the ingathering of precious souls for the glory of his name. And so let's pray tonight. Let's call upon the Lord for these things. And perhaps if you're listening and you're out of Christ, I remind you again that it's only through faith in Christ that any soul can be saved. It's only through faith in Christ that you can know peace with God. The enduring ministry of Paul is a demonstration of that truth. If there is no salvation, then there is no need for the Lord to speak to the apostle. If there is no such thing as sin and no such thing as a Savior in Christ, then there's no need for gospel preaching. But the presence of gospel preaching, whether it be in the church or on the radio, and the presence of gospel preaching is a reminder again that sinners need to hear of Christ because out of Christ there is no hope at all.